You are listening to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 39. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm Monica Louie, and I am bringing you another inspiring interview. Today's guest has a lot going on. He's a dad, a husband, and founder of multiple seven-figure businesses. He's also a podcaster, course creator, event host, a sought-after speaker, an e-commerce expert, and a chatbot expert. And he's sharing all his secrets with us. And we'll get to the interview in just a moment. But if you're new to the podcast and don't know me yet, then welcome. I am a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist, and I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six and seven figure online businesses. I'm also the creator of Flourish with Facebook ads, which is my online training program that teaches my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed more than one and a half million dollars in ad spend and served more than 700 students and clients. And we are in the trenches every single day, keeping a pulse on what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. And while I teach a lot about Facebook and Instagram ads, the goal of this podcast is to discuss what it really takes to build a seven-figure online business. And that's why I love to bring you interviews with experts and successful business owners like my guest today. I am so excited to share with you my interview with my good friend, Steve Chu. Steve is the co-founder of Bumblebee Linens, which is an online store that primarily sells handkerchiefs. But you may know Steve from his blog and podcast called My Wife Quit Her Job, where he teaches aspiring online entrepreneurs how to successfully start and grow their online stores in the e-commerce space. But as you'll soon learn, he has a whole lot of projects on his plate. And from being a fan of his for several years, I gotta say that it seems like everything he touches turns to gold. So I definitely asked him why that is at the end of the interview. I am so delighted to have Steve Chu on the show. In this episode, you will learn how Steve went from being an electrical engineer to selling handkerchiefs online with his wife and earned six figures in profit his first year in business. Why he decided to start a second online business, even though he was still working full-time and growing his e-commerce business on the side. How Steve is using Facebook Messenger to effectively grow his email list and market his online course, including what to watch out for so you don't get banned by Facebook. Steve also shares the unexpected lessons that he and his kids are learning by building a business together. Plus, we could dive into how he does it all. Steve shares how he breaks up his time to ensure that all of his businesses and projects are getting enough attention 
And we do talk about Steve's secret sauce, why everything he touches turns into an amazing success. And this alone could be the key to unlocking your success too. And of course, we talk about a whole lot more. One thing I love about Steve is that every time I hear him interviewed on a podcast or see him speak, he always brings the tactical advice and he makes everything he talks about very actionable. So I'm always finding myself scribbling down loads of notes. And this interview is no different. So grab a pen and paper because I guarantee that you're going to have tons of takeaways from this interview. But before we dive in, I want to make sure you know that you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 39. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E.com slash the number 39. All right, let's dive into the interview with Steve Chu from mywifequitterjob.com. Hey, Steve, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to chat with you. I'm happy to be here, Monica. Okay, so for those who are listening who don't know, tell a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Uh, You do a lot of things online, but how did you get here? What do you do? So uh, number one, I guess, first and foremost, I run an e-commerce store with my wife. I also run a blog over at mywifequitterjob.com that teaches people how to sell physical products online. I also run a training class. I run an annual e-commerce conference at the Seller Summit. I have a a Shark Tank-like show called 5-Minute Pitch. And then I'm just releasing a blogging course over at Profitable Online Blog. I think that's everything. That's not. It's <laughs> not? I oh, was making a list. Oh, yes, there is? What else are Yes, you started a business with your kids too. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, how could I forget that? Yes, there's an e-commerce store with my kids selling entrepreneurship t-shirts for kids over at kidincharge.com. That is so awesome. Okay, so because I was making a list of everything that you're a part of, everything you have going on, and you have quite a lot going on online, but you didn't start off online. So can you share you know, what brought you to creating your first e-commerce store and then growing all these other businesses online? Yeah. So I used to be an electrical engineer and I was for 17 years. I never imagined quitting, never imagined going online until my wife became pregnant with her first child. And she told me she was going to quit her six-figure job. And because we live in the Silicon Valley, it's really expensive here. If you've never been here, you you can't even imagine how expensive it is here. If you want to get a good house and a good school district, you pretty much need two incomes. And so we kind of racked our brains and we came up with selling handkerchiefs online. And handkerchiefs is really random. The way we came up with handkerchiefs was because when we first got married, my wife knew she was going to cry at the wedding and we couldn't find handkerchiefs anywhere. We ended up finding this factory in China that was willing to sell us a couple hundred of them. So we bought in bulk, used a handful of them, sold the rest on eBay, and they sold like hotcakes. And so that's how we came with the idea later on. And that store ended up making six figures in profit within our first year, which allowed my wife to quit and take care of our kids. And how many years ago was that? That was back in 2007. So 12 years ago. Okay. So 2007. actually. Yeah. <laughs> she she quits her job. You've got a successful business. And so then how did you decide to start My Wife Quit Her Job to teach others how to do this? Yeah. So a couple of reasons. So one, people just started asking, namely my friends who were like lawyers and doctors, they were working many, many hours a week. They started asking us how we did it. And instead of answering the question over and over and over again, I decided to document that on the blog. And then what happened is, as I started blogging, I started reading other people's blogs who were making money. 
And there was this one blog in particular, it's run by Steve Pavlina. He had this one post that told me that he was making $4,000 per day blogging. And I was blown away by that. And so I decided to focus my efforts on my blog over at mywifequitterjob.com so that it could be my retirement plan someday. Very cool. So your wife is running the store. So Bumblebee Linens is the e-commerce store, correct? Yes, that's correct. And then you decided on the side, so you were also helping her with that business, but then as an electrical engineer, decided to start your own blog and make money from that. Yeah, that's correct. I still work on the marketing for Bumblebee Linens today, just to be clear. Okay. So you have your hand in both businesses, but then when did you end up leaving your job as an electrical engineer? Because I know you did it for quite a while. Yeah. I left at the end of 2015 or early 2016. So it actually hasn't been that long. It's been what, three and a half, four years? Wow. So I know you did that for a long time and doing, well, what, two businesses plus your day job. And so what pushed you to give up your day job? Yeah, actually, I really like my day job. Uh, I really enjoyed going. All my coworkers are really brilliant. And so I enjoyed hanging out with them. After a while, it just stopped making sense. So what ended up happening is I dropped down to four days and then I dropped down to two days. And you got to understand at the time I was making 8X more than my salary, you know, with my businesses. And so I kind of negotiated when I went down to two days that I could work on my businesses during the day and I'd be available for meetings. And the only reason I could get away with this is because I was one of the three main designers on the main product for the company. And I had written a lot of the product. I designed a lot of the product. And so I was there as kind of like an insurance policy. Um, What ultimately led to me leaving was uh, we got a new VP. And I remember one day the VP pulled me in the office and said, hey, uh, so what is your role at this company? And I had to be upfront. I said, hey, I'm actually not doing anything here. I'm here basically for support. And that led me to exit. Wow. So how was, was that? <laughs> how how was that change in your life though? I mean, going from two businesses and working full time and raising a family, you know, and being a husband and father and all of that. And then was there a transition period? Or I mean, at that point you were doing two days a week, but I was already doing two days a week. It wasn't that big of a deal, but I just missed seeing people every day. So you know, I work at home pretty much by myself because the kids are at school. And I'm sure you probably know what that feels like to a certain extent, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's lonely, but you get used to it and you make a lot of internet friends. Yes. And <laughs> well, and also you've had your podcast. I know that your podcast has been a great way for you to meet other people online. So has that kind of helped? Yeah. So I started the podcast not to make money, not really to... Uh, build an audience or anything. I mainly use it as a way to meet people. And you know, this is probably one of the reasons why you have your podcast as well, but you can reach out to someone, have them on as a guest, and almost everyone's going to say yes. So that allowed you to meet more people. Meet more people, but it led to building an audience kind of inadvertently. And uh, it also led to, I guess, being its own little mini business. I mean, I get sponsorships. Usually I have three sponsorships at any given time for that podcast. And when did you start that? I think I started that in 2014, I believe. Okay. Yeah. All right. I like to get the timeline of events. Okay. So the podcast is Flourish to Seven Figures. And I know that you have several successful businesses, but when did you hit seven figures in one of your businesses for the first time? That is a good question. Not until later, I think. I want to say, I think maybe 2015. The e-commerce store came first. 
And then the blog kind of came later. So the uh, trajectory of revenue is a lot different. Like for the e-commerce store, we just started making money almost immediately because just by nature of selling products, it's much faster to grow initially, I guess, with the store since you're selling something, right? Right, right. With the blog, I didn't make anything for almost three years, I want to say. And then after that, it just kind of hockey pucked up. So I think I started making six figures within three years, maybe. So that puts it at like 2012. And then I don't think I hit seven figures until 2016, but it essentially just kept doubling at that point. So the blog is growing then at the faster rate right now? Uh, The blog is probably growing at a faster rate right now. And I guess it's just all the function of what you want to grow. So as you know, selling physical products online, you have to deal with actually inventory. We have employees, we have a warehouse. So growing that business at this point is actually much more painful than growing the blog, which, which is all digital. I don't have to increase inventory. I don't really have to increase staff. It's just a much easier growth pattern. Okay. So then you decided to add in these other businesses. So you started with Seller Summit next? The Seller Summit. Okay. So the blog, That's do, you more count of an the training, extension. do you count the training course? That's oh, more yes. of an extension. Let's right? talk about the course because, okay. yeah. So when did you launch the course? That was in 2011. So that was one of the primary revenue drivers because prior to that, it was just all affiliate marketing and advertising. And right. just adding that course really caused it to just blow up really. So you started the course in 2011 and how many students do you have now? I have about 3,400, I would say at this point, I think. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So then you can help them. I mean, the course is to help people get started with their own e-commerce store. Yeah. I mean, it's more than just get started. I have students that are doing uh, seven figures, a lot of them actually at this point. And it's just a a long journey that uh, I've had the pleasure of being with them along the way best part is whenever I have a successful student, I can brag about them and it always leads to more sales. So it's like this virtuous cycle. Very cool. That's been great for me to see. So I've seen you speak a number of different times and every time that I see you speak, I learn something new, but you, I mean, you've been very open about marketing your course and doing webinars for your course. And so what's working now for the course? I'm sure you've tried a lot of things over the years. So what's working now to help you sell more of your course? Yeah. So Facebook Messenger is actually working really well right now. I'm not sure if you've dabbled in that yet, but because it's not a medium that a lot of people are using at this point, it kind of reminds me of back in the day when email used to work amazingly well. So what is your strategy there? So it's just like how I would grab an email. So I grab an email. Email is still first priority because you're in full control over that, whereas kind of Facebook controls Messenger. So I try to grab an email. Then as soon as I grab the email, I offer some sort of other lead magnet to get them on Messenger. Um, There's a variety of ways depending on what your business is. Like for our e-commerce store, we give out a coupon and, you know, via email. And in order to actually get the coupon, you have to get it through Messenger. And if your listeners aren't familiar with the way Messenger works, as soon as anyone interacts with you on Messenger, they instantly become a subscriber and you can send them messages. Got it. Okay. So your goal is then to grow that list of subscribers. That's correct. It works. It's very similar to email, but the rules are different because it's controlled by Facebook. Okay. So what are the things that we need to look out for? Because we know in the ads world, we need to stay in Facebook's good graces and follow their rules. So what are the rules when it comes to Messenger? Yeah. You have to follow the rules there too. 
So right now you can't send a promotional message unless you've interacted with that person within 24 hours. And starting next year, Facebook is going to make it a lot more strict in terms of what you're allowed to send. So there's a list of things that you're allowed to send, but not one of them involves anything remotely promotional because they're going to charge you now to send promotional broadcasts. So the way to kind of get around that is to get someone to interact with your bot, and then you can send them something promotional within a 24-hour period. So what is that interaction? What does that mean? They need to actually respond to your message? Yes, that is correct. So right now, they haven't made it super strict yet, but right now I usually just try to get them to respond to something. So I might say something like, with a blog, it's actually much easier because I can just send them out a piece of content. It's not promotional at all. I'll say, hey, I just wrote a new blog post on this. Are you interested in reading it? And as soon as they click yes, then I can message them whatever they want. With the store, usually I try to, so we sell hankies, right? So I might say, hey, are you guys a handkerchief lover like I am? And as soon as they click yes, then I can tell them about the sale. Got it. So yeah, so what's scary about Messenger is that Facebook is in charge and have actually been banned. And if you ever get banned, all the work that you've done, all the subscribers are essentially gone. I mean, you can't communicate with them anymore. And you kind of have to like beg for forgiveness And fortunately, Facebook gave me my Messenger account back. So what did you have to do? Did you have to submit a request that you were trying to follow the rules, but you didn't know what went wrong? Like, How much information did they give you? Because I know on the ad side, they don't give you very much information. They they don't give you any information. And in fact, I had to go through a buddy uh, over at Facebook to even get me more information because I thought I was following all the rules. I think what ended up happening is I still don't really have a straight answer today, to be honest with you. But if enough people complain about one of your messages, that will cause Facebook to investigate. And, you know, as long as you send something that people block enough of a frequency, then you have a chance of getting banned, unfortunately. So you have to be very careful. Okay. So always make sure that you are posing a question and and asking them to engage and respond. I mean, I was doing that also, but if your question or whatever you're engaging them with, enough people block that message, Mm -hmm. then that's a flag to Facebook that you're like a spammer. Okay. And so looking back, I could pinpoint that message. I tried to launch something that was kind of out of the ordinary from what I normally post. I was launching this service. It was like a group giveaway service. And I think enough people blocked that message, which triggered Facebook to investigate and ban my account. Okay. So be careful and kind of train your audience, I guess. Yeah. I mean, just be consistent with the type of stuff that you're sending so that they know what to expect out of you. And then do you time these out where they're spaced out so they're not getting a new message every day? Or like, what does that look like? Is it like once a week? I actually save Messenger for just once a month. And it has to be for something very important that I want to drive people to. The reason being is the unsubscribe rate, I think it's because people just aren't used to getting messages in their Messenger. Um, The unsubscribe rate is typically on the order of 1% to 2% for me. Whereas email, it's like an order of magnitude less than that. So every time you do a send, you are shedding people. Right. And I've also heard that you're supposed to always give them the option to unsubscribe, but you yes, actually that have is to correct. do that. That is correct. Uh, you don't have to do that, but it's better than them blocking you, which is a big negative sign. Right. Okay. So how do we give them the option to unsubscribe? I usually do it through a button. 
So, okay. you know, during that first interaction, I usually have a yes, a no, or an, and an unsubscribe button. Got it. And so what tool are you using? Are you using ManyChat for this? Yes, I'm using ManyChat. And I've done my research on the tools and I actually got back from speaking at the ManyChat conference recently. They're adding all these features that will make it by far the best tool going forward. Okay, very cool. So ManyChat, that's what we've used as well. And that's what our clients have used as well. And so I know that that's a, I mean, reputable company, but it sounds like they've got exciting things coming. They do in Uh, the e-commerce space, actually, especially. Okay. So, okay. Cool. So with your course, then how are you using Messenger to lead to more sales? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, my lead magnet is a six-day mini course on how to sell online. And as soon as someone opts in for that, I immediately send them a link to another course on how to sell on Amazon that they can opt in for right away. And that actually converts really well because once they sign up with you, they're pretty much hot, right? They want your info and they're willing to opt in for something else. I'm also running messenger ads. The way I usually do this is I take a post and I'll post it organically on my page. And if it does really well, and by well, I mean, if it has like a 5% engagement rate, I'll actually run an ad for that for messenger where they actually have to click on messenger. And then I deliver them the link to the post within that ad. I see. So is that like a blog post that you're posting? It is. Yeah, it's a blog post, essentially. It doesn't have to be a blog post. I mean, it can be something else, another piece of information or a piece of content. Right. Okay. So you're growing your audience there with Messenger. And then what does it look like to take them down like through the sales funnel or get into your sales funnel to lead to a sale? So the Messenger, I actually don't have like a real funnel there. I'm just trying to get subscribers there so that when it comes time to do a webinar or release a new product, I can broadcast to them. The reason for that is because on Messenger, the rules of sending messages are very stringent, right? You can't really send anything that is out of the ordinary after a 24-hour period. So you can't just put them, this is starting next year, you can't realistically put them down like an autoresponder sequence unless you are approved for that type of messaging. And from what I understand, of course, none of this has taken effect yet, but from what I understand, Facebook is going to be very strict on who they approve to be able to send these informational type of messages, namely probably like the bigger publications. Naturally, I'm going to apply and see if I can get in, but um, you know, it's all on an application basis. Right. Okay. So basically it's just to reach out to people when you have something that you want to, you know, have another touch point to get in front of them. So I'm assuming like if you have a webinar for your course that you're also, you know, inviting people to join the webinar via email. And then are you also running ads to that? And then also sending a a messenger? I've actually stopped running ads, top of funnel ads to get people onto the webinar. Instead, what I do is I run ads to get people onto my email list and messenger. And then I broadcast that way. That was like a shift I did maybe a year or two ago, mainly because my acquisition costs were getting out of control at some point. And so I decided to shift gears. We were just talking about this right before the podcast. It sounds like your acquisition channel is really cheap. So maybe it's time for me to try that again. Yeah, I will. We get really great costs with our clients and with my own ads for driving leads into funnels to grow the email list, but then also get people on webinars. So definitely test it out. But so instead of spending that money on webinar ads, to get people to sign up, you're invested in growing your subscriber list through messenger and your email list. Yeah. So the way it works for my messenger ads is I'll get them to opt into messenger and that's usually really cheap. 
much cheaper than email. And then 23 hours later, I'll ping them and say, hey, did you know that I offer this free mini course? And then what's nice about Messenger is the email that's tied to their Facebook account becomes a button. And as soon as they tap onto it, you can actually have them subscribe to your email list within one tap. I see. Yeah. So I try to get both a messenger and email through that ad. Okay. So then what is that? Do you know your cost per email subscriber for that strategy? Um, that is a good question. I actually don't have those stats like immediately in front of me. The cost per messenger subscriber is less than a dollar. Okay. And I would imagine not everyone opts in for the email, but even if half do, I guess, it ends up being a couple bucks. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. I like that a lot. And then are you doing, so let's say you have the live webinar. Are you promoting the replay or anything via Messenger? Yeah. So once they've opted into Messenger for that particular webinar, then there's a sequence that happens, right? I send them the replay. I send them additional information. And then like kind of like this final closing thing. Each time I ask them to opt in with information. So I say, hey, these are additional webinar resources that I'm releasing. Are you interested? And as soon as they click yes, I give them the resources and then I remind them of the deadline. And all this happens on email also. And it also happens on push notification. They're all getting kind of like the same sequence bombarded across all channels. Okay. But again, just other touch points, because that's why I always remind people that a good open rate on your email is 20%. And so, but you know, if you're getting 20%, that still means that 80% of the people on your email list aren't seeing your message in there. So that's why it can be important to have these other touch points to get in front of them. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting 20% on someone who's opted into your webinar, that's, that's pretty bad actually, right? Because they're right. opting into this information. So typically I get like 40, 50%, maybe even higher. And then on Messenger, it's ridiculous. It's the open rates are 90 something percent. And the click-through rates are like in the 20s, 30s. Not the open rates, but the click-through rates. Right. Which is huge. Yeah. So Messenger works a lot better um, right now. And I think the reason for that is when you get a new message in your Messenger, like it kind of pops up with this like red dot, right? And you're compelled right. to look at it. So, so then how does that compare to push notifications? Push notifications are in between email and messenger. So whereas a, and I, I can only comment, I guess, on um, just regular email blasts, a regular email blast at best, and I don't know how your email looks, will at best be like 5% click-through rate at best, at least right. for me. Push notifications are higher than email. Um, I guess on average, I can say maybe 50% to double. And then Messenger is like light years more, like five to eight X more in terms of click-through rate. Okay. Very cool. Okay. So then what, then do you send them a, like a reminder the, of the deadline? You mentioned the deadline, but the, the offer is going away for the promotion? Yes, absolutely. Across all channels. Okay. Very cool. And so switching gears, um, you also have, let's see, so you started Seller Summit. When did you first do that one? That was in 2016. So I've had four of them. So 16, 17, yeah. 2016 was the first one. Where did that idea come from? Yeah, uh, I have to credit that to Tony because I had no desire whatsoever to run a conference. Uh, it just, I don't know if you ever do, Monica, but it's scary. I'm used to... Being an engineer, I was just kind of used to sitting behind my monitor all day. 
But um, I do have a lot of fun going to conferences. And so what attracted me to the idea was, you know, I could actually create a conference that met my criteria for everything that I'm looking for in an event. And so I'm not good at logistics. And so I kind of struck this deal with my partner, Tony, where she just handles all the logistics and I just take care of ticket sales, speakers, and sponsors. And it just ended up working really well. Basically, I just have to show up. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) Well, it does. So like doing an event like that, though, it does seem like a big project. There are a lot of things. I mean, I know what planning a wedding is like, and there are, you know, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things, a lot of details you need to keep track of. And so I, but I can imagine where you have, you know, a conference and event where people are, you know, flying in from all over that there are a lot of things to think about. I mean, that's the only reason why I decide to do it is because I didn't have to, it's, it's not like planning a wedding for me, right? For me, it's like preparing the guest list essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in charge of invitations, basically, and Tony's in charge of like everything else. Very cool. So <laughs> how many people attend Seller Summit? Uh, we get around 225-ish, something like that. Yeah, Very so cool. it's a small event. My pet peeve with large events is that I don't like them because you end up not seeing everyone all the time, and it just it just feels a little bit more lonely to me. So I want an event that'd be small and intimate. I also don't like talks that... Uh, that are really inspirational. I prefer really actionable strategy focused talks. And so that's what the event is all about. Very cool. And it's all in the e-commerce space. It is all in the e-commerce space. That's correct. So if you're selling physical products, that's probably the only reason why you would attend. Okay. And people can go to sellersummit.com to learn more about that. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So now with Tony, you're also starting a new venture. Do you want to share with Yes. That? Yeah. So it is a blogging course. And, uh, you know, with the success of my e-commerce course, and just to kind of give your audience an idea of how it's structured, basically I'm constantly adding content to it every week. I hold live coaching sessions every single week. And the premise of that course, as I mentioned earlier, is that we want people to be successful so that we can brag about them. So it always leads to more sales. So we're offering this blogging course over at Profitable Online Blog following the exact same model. We're going to help people build an audience through blogging and monetize those efforts. And between Tony and I, we've monetized in practically every way possible. Affiliate marketing, advertising, selling digital products, membership sites, you name it. Uh, Selling physical products, it can all be done. And blogging is like a great foundation for it. Very cool. And so that course is going to teach people how to do all of that. That is correct. Yes. And just to give you an idea, my e-commerce course started out with no content. And today it has well over a hundred hours, over 300 videos, but you know, things change quickly. And so by constantly adding content to the class and pruning out the stuff that's out of date, the goal at least is to eventually create like the largest resource for any given topic. In this case, it's going to be blogging. Very cool. That's very exciting. You guys are both going to crush it. So tell, we've, we've, you mentioned Tony a number of times. So share just so that people know who she, who she is and her background. So Tony is just someone I met randomly at an event, which is why I love going to events. And you and I, we both know her. We've been friends with her. She, yes. she was a very popular lifestyle blogger. And she still is, I should say, not was. She's got a crazy family. She's got a crazy story. She's really good with people. And so it was just a naturally a good fit as a partnership. 
She runs thehappyhousewife.com. Yes, thehappyhousewife.com. And she was one of the early bloggers too back in, I think she started in 2008 or somewhere around there. I think earlier than that. I know she's she's got like three or four years up on me. So 2006, I want to say. Okay. Yeah. She also runs an e-commerce store over over at the oil collection and she helps me run uh, the seller summit as well. Yeah. Very cool. So that's going to, you guys are both going to crush it. I mean, that's two amazing people to learn from. That's going to be such a fun course. So I'm really excited about that. And then Kid in Charge, where did this idea come from? (laughs) How did you, how did you, like, was this your idea or did your kids have the idea first? How did this come about? Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious what your opinion on this is after I talk. Um, so what ended up happening is their school had this entrepreneurship fair and my kids like to make money so they can buy candy and like stuffed animals and that sort of thing. And so they participated in their school small business fair selling t-shirts and the kids have to come up with their own ideas. They have to actually self-fund the whole project themselves also. And they started making money and they kind of caught this bug. And I was like, hey, why, why should this stop at an entrepreneurship fair. We should continue this business and try to turn it into something real. And that's kind of how the whole online business got started. I helped them with the website naturally, but they designed all the t-shirts and the way we're marketing it is through YouTube because my kids are, are, uh, I don't want to brag, but I think they're pretty good on video. So they're pretty cute. (laughs) Are you starting your kids on entrepreneurship? So that is something that that's why I'm curious about this because I know my kids are very interested in, I mean, especially my son, my son is eight and he's very interested in how can he make money. And he, we got him a Chromebook for Christmas last year and because he was, you know, starting to use Chromebooks at school. And so he's like, mom, can I help you with your business with my Chromebook? Can I, you know, can I do something to help you with your business? And so I'm just very curious, you know, at what age can we start to help them? But also I don't want to push them in any kind of direction, but I would love for them to see that, you know, by getting creative and I talk about this with them, about you know, by, by being creative, helping people, you can make good money. So, um, so is, is that how the conversation started with your kids? Just for the record, uh, for all the listeners out there, Monica's kids are running your ads as part of her agency. <laughs> So she's, she's playing dumb right now. That's the, why they, that's why they're converting so well. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So the key here was um, we wanted to make it fun for them. Right. So my daughter is actually very artistic and she loves designing stuff. And so we kind of structure the business so that they focus on their talents. So she likes design t-shirts and she likes creating content right? And so that's her role in the business. And, you know, I help with the tech stuff, obviously. The goal here is, so my daughter is actually more into like the arts. And as we know, like when you major in the arts in college, it's a little bit harder to find a job. My goal with this, at least, is to let her know that she can pursue the arts and she can make a living or do whatever she wants in life, essentially. Right. So... Very cool. I don't know if I answered your question because I kind of got lost when I was making fun of you. <laughs> so, okay, so how old how old is your daughter and how old is your son? My, my daughter is 11, my son's nine. And then what is your son's role? His role is to just design t-shirts. Originally, he was going to play the CFO because he's like really good with numbers. But I think since school had started, so we started this over the summer when they, we weren't in school, but since school has started, things have gotten busier. He's just like a t-shirt designer primarily now too. And he and hops so you, on the videos. 
Okay. So you mentioned YouTube, you're doing YouTube videos. So do you have like a content calendar, like a structure, a schedule where they're producing, you know, videos consistently? Or is it love to be for there to be a schedule? This is how we do it. As soon as the kids have like a free block of time, we try to batch the videos and we try to record as many as we can. And then we just kind of release them on a regular basis. My daughter just started a brand new school a couple months ago. And so we've been kind of off the schedule, so to speak, but we're going to resume, you know, once things settle down. Very cool. So, and then who's doing the editing? Uh, We have someone in the Philippines that does the video editing. MJ, she's incredible. Okay. So, so you've got your team, somebody on the team doing the editing and then who schedules and uploads to YouTube? So she'll upload to YouTube, but I'll write the verbiage and schedule it. I see. So I do that stuff. The kids design the shirts and then they write these little blog post captions underneath the video that they write. And they write like all the sales verbiage with my help, actually. Very cool. So do their teachers know that they're doing this as well? Uh, That's a good question. I know for a fact at her new school, you had to apply to get in. And from what I could tell, I think it was actually a very strict application process. And she mentioned her business in her application. Uh, My son's teacher is aware because uh, last year during the small business fair, it was essentially the same business. Okay. Yeah. That is so cool. So, I mean, for the parents out there, you know, think about your kids' strengths and do they have an interest, you know, in, in doing a project like this. But then for me... Also, I know my son can get distracted. And so if we start something, I'd want to make sure that it's something that he actually wants to continue with. So do you have those conversations, those check-ins with them to make sure that they're still interested in you know, doing more videos and designing more shirts? Well, it's funny. Every time they want to buy something, <laughs> then it comes they're up. Like, do you, you know, I'm like, hey, you need money to buy that. Why don't you go sell some more t-shirts? And they're like, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, they enjoy it. But I think right now, at least what's driving them is the money. Yeah. (laughs) Which is fine, you know. And I'm curious too, because we both met at FinCon in, you know, the financial conference. So what are you teaching your kids about making money and saving money and what you can do with money? I think that's actually the best outcome of the business. Even if it doesn't make a whole lot of money is the fact that they understand the costs. So before running the business, they had no idea what profit was. Or when we run our business, like with the handkerchiefs, before they didn't realize that we had to actually pay money to buy the base product before we could sell it. And so they got a lesson on how to calculate and enumerate all of your costs and calculate your true profit. How many shirts or whatnot do you have to actually sell in order to be able to afford something? And then all the revenue that you're coming in isn't the money you actually get to keep. Right. Some important lessons. So even if, I I think it's a great idea for everyone to to start. I mean, even if it doesn't end up making any money, at least you're running through the math, you know, of money and how to manage it. So and then I'll give you an example, actually. This is a good one. So at the school during the small business fair, my daughter wanted to buy all these stickers as marketing to get people, you know, to our booth, right? Because it's a big booth. There's a lot of kids with booths. But these stickers ended up costing like $2 a piece or something because she wanted really to make custom ones. And at the time at the small business fair, the profit per t-shirt was only $5. And so I made her think about it. I was like, hey, so let's say you give out these stickers that are $2 each. And let's say only like, you know, one in 10 of them actually come to the booth and buy something. Are you going to make a profit? 
right? And so that's $20 for stickers, only one in 10, you know, you're only going to sell one t-shirt. So you're losing money that way. And so these are the things that just kind of made her think about her marketing costs. Right. Very smart. And good things to think about in life too. Oh yeah. I mean, totally. There's all these other things she wanted to do. I just can't think of them off the top of my head. These little extra things that she wanted to do without even considering the costs. So then how are they paying themselves from the business? Right now they aren't technically paying themselves. So it all kind of goes into our pot because it's underneath our e-commerce store LLC, mainly because you need a seller's permit and all that sort of thing. And so we keep track within the shopping cart of how much they make. And you know, if they want to buy something, basically uh, we can either deduct it from that account or they just pay us cash for that stuff. I see. Yeah. So they're not managing their own bank account right now. I think that's what you're asking, right? Well, I was just curious, like what that looked like about like, do they receive paychecks or a percentage? Oh, of, no, no, you know, no, no. They're not, they're not employees or anything. <laughs> like they're not W. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> no um, we're doing everything above board. And the way we do that is just tying it into our regular e-commerce business, but they know how much they're making. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> and we've moved to a dropship model, which makes it even easier. When we first got started, we wanted our kids to to understand like how much work it is to actually produce one of these t-shirts. So they were cutting out the vinyl, they were, you know, pressing on the t-shirt and, you know, packing and shipping the orders themselves. Wow. But it got to a point during the school year where we'd get these orders and they'd have homework to do, and then we'd have to run to Michael's to buy a t-shirt and the vinyl and print it all. And finally we moved to a dropship model. So Basically, whatever we're charging minus the cost of the dropshipper is what they get to keep. So it's a much easier right now. Very cool. <laughs> that's very inspiring. I think that's a great idea. And teaching them, I mean, they're learning a lot, but also in a fun way. And they get to do this with their dad. Yes. I mean, that's the best part. I mean, even if anything that comes out of this, uh, we're actually bonding over the whole experience. So uh, even if it doesn't make that much money, like my daughter wants to make enough money to pay for college. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, if she ends up making enough money to pay for college, she might not want to go to college anymore. So I actually don't want it to be too successful because I still want them to go to school, but I want them to make a good amount of spending cash. Yeah. I think that's good to be very clear on why you're doing this and the lessons that can come from it. But then also, you know, checking in with them, making sure that, you know, it is something that they want to continue to do. Yeah. And I just want to make it clear for like the parents out there who are considering doing this. It's not like a walk in the park. I mean, there's a lot of work involved on all parties, keeping people motivated, making them understand why they're doing what they're doing and that sort of thing. So, I mean, you have to be willing to put in the work essentially. With all of these different initiatives going on, how do you structure your time and focus on what you need to be working on today versus tomorrow versus next week? How yeah. do you keep all those balls in the air? Yeah, I mean, I can just tell you my schedule. So maintaining the blog is actually quite simple, the blog and the podcast. So I basically put out one blog post every single week. That takes me usually about four to six hours to write. I do that on Sundays when my kids are in uh, Russian math class. And then I do one podcast a week, and that usually takes an hour or two, I guess, scheduling and then getting that person on the podcast. So that takes care of the content for the blog. For the course, I give one live webinar type of session every single week. So that's about an hour. And without my, so my editor handles the video editing as well as my podcast editing. So I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So that's my week in terms of content creation. And then at least one day out of the week, I work on the e-commerce store. 
And that's just anything that needs to get done, whether it be marketing, adding something, adding a feature that my wife wants. Uh, in terms of writing emails and that sort of thing, I kind of lump that into content creation. Also, I send out one email a week. And so it ends up being all told maybe 20 hours per week that I work on all the stuff. And then the rest of the time is mainly shuttling kids around to their activities. I mean, they're at this age now where I literally have to pick them up, drop them off, pick up the other one, drop them off. And so it's, it's a lot more parental work. Right. I don't know. What does your schedule look like? Actually, I'm curious. So I work, I mean, Monday through Friday, usually I get started around, I mean, some days my first meeting's at 10, some days it's at 9 or 9.30, but I am the one that gets the kids up and off to school in the morning. School starts at 8. And then my husband, he works early in the morning and then gets off like around the middle of the afternoon, usually around 3-ish. And so then the kids now they're at the same school. So they ride the bus home together and then they kind of, they know what they need to do when they get home. They need to unpack their backpacks and put their you know lunch pails away and get papers out and things like that. And they know they need to do their reading and workbooks and things before they can do any screen time or fun time or anything else. And so, but usually then my husband is coming home at that time anyway. And then he kind of takes over kid duties and shuffles them around to activities. And then I go to my workout class in the evening and then we have family time after that and everybody's home. And then on the weekends, we usually have a lot of activities on Saturday and then run errands and do things together on Saturday and Sunday. How many hours would you say you work on your on your business? I'm probably... Because I'll do some things usually on Sunday to get ready for the week or some things that I didn't you know, quite get all wrapped up during the week previous. So I probably work around like 35 hours a week, I would say. Okay. I'm actually trying to get there. So this blogging course hasn't been launched yet. We're actually launching it next week. I anticipate that will add maybe another five hours to my week. I've been getting to the point where... So I go in cycles. There's this point where I felt like I was working too hard. So I just cut drastically back. And then I'm at kind of like this low point right now where I'm feeling a little bored. And so I need to add more projects back in my life. I kind of seesaw back and forth sometimes. And then you do a lot of speaking too. I do. Yeah. Actually, I didn't count that. That's like sporadic though. So I spoke at four events in September and I was gone 18 days of the month and my wife wow. was ready to kill me. So that is not going to happen again. But I actually really enjoy getting up on stage. And my primary motivation for speaking is to actually get to know the other speakers. And so when you speak at an event, that kind of gives you a little bit of cred with the other people there. Right. And it's just a great way to network that way. Yeah. We spoke together at Brand Accelerator Live and I yep. loved that experience. I mean, it was a great conference, but also I loved being one of the speakers and getting to know the other speakers. That was definitely a huge perk of that event. You speak at FinCon every year too, don't you? Yes. I've spoken three years now. Yep. And so, yeah, that's a lot of fun to be a speaker there. Yeah. Yeah. FinCon's like a, it's gotten to be a huge event. So it is. I think it's probably going to be approaching 3,000 next year. I know. Isn't that crazy? I went back when it was like two, 300 people. Wow. So, yeah. My first FinCon was 2016, and I think it's at least doubled in size since then. FinCon was the first event I ever spoke at. And so I, I thank PT, who's the founder of the event, uh, for giving me that opportunity. Yeah. Well, he's found a lot of great speakers that are now doing a lot of speaking. But you, as you just you mentioned earlier, you just spoke at the Messenger or the ManyChat event. Yep. And then also Social Media Marketing World, you're going to be speaking at again. 
Yeah, Social Media Marketing World. Uh, sometimes I speak at FinCon, sometimes I don't. Seller Summit is my own event I obviously speak at. I used to speak at Tony's event, but she's since turned that into a mastermind. I'm trying to think where else I've spoken. I've spoken at e-commerce Fuel before, uh, Brand Accelerator Live. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of all the events. There's a couple more in there somewhere. I speak at the other events more sporadically. So, so for the listeners, if you ever have the opportunity to see Steve speak, I mean, as he said, like for his own event, he likes to make sure that things are very tactical and strategic and actionable. And that's exactly how his talks are. I always have so many pages of notes after seeing him speak and it's all great stuff. And he backs it up with, you know, clear examples of how he's putting this into play with his business or his student's business. So definitely go sit in the front row and take lots of notes. So But you also, I mean, one of the things that I love seeing you speak about is that you're always testing something new. So like, you know, more recently it's Messenger, but how do you decide on what to test? What kind of, you know, new strategy or new marketing tool or whatever it looks like? How do you decide what to test next? (laughs) That's actually a good question. I I wish I had like a really reasonable answer for you, but usually what happens is uh, someone I run into just gets me really excited about something. And then I'll go try it. And it almost always results in something positive. So uh, I think four years ago, my buddy would kept trying to get me to sell on Amazon. I was like, no, no, it's okay. And then he showed me like how much money he was making. I was like, okay, I'll try it. And it was like an instant six-figure boost. One year at FinCon, Grant Baldwin, he's like, you got to try webinars. You got to try webinars. I was like, ah, I don't really want to talk onto a mic, you know, to a bunch of virtual people. And I tried it once and I made, ended up making like $60,000 in one pop. And so that boosted my business. It's just people that you meet at events, they get you excited about features and then you just try them. And almost always it results in something positive. So I wish I had a better answer for you. No, that's okay. But I'm also curious because it seems like everything you try works really well. So do you have any failures, anything you've tested, tried that hasn't worked out? Because all these different brands and initiatives that we've talked about, I mean, everything has taken off to be ultra successful. And so, yeah, can you share any of those, you know, failures or things? I mean, you know how it is, Monica. I mean, like, for example, like when someone convinced me to do Facebook ads, like the end goal that you write about is successful, but like along the way there, there's all these ad groups and ads that don't make money, right? Because it's like panning for gold. Like you start out sucking and as long as you stop the ones that aren't making money early enough, you're not losing that money until you find that one spot, one pot of gold and you just put all your money on that winner, right? I think the same can be said about anything that I've tried. Like Messenger didn't work in the beginning, right? You got to hone in your message. You got to figure out the ads that work and what works. And then ultimately what you write about and what you report is success but you know, people are less interested, obviously, in all the, the drudgery that led you to get there. So how do you know to stick with something long enough in order to get to that point where you are having the success you're looking for? Yeah, you just- that's a good question. So uh, it's basically intuition, like this should work, right? In theory, this should work based on what I'm trying to sell because this other person has gotten it to work. And so usually it's just, oftentimes just an iterative process and sticking with it long enough for you to see the fruits of your labor. Okay. Um, There's certain things that just don't make sense. So uh, let me just see if I can give you an example here. Let's say I wanted to run Google ads on like this brand new invention that I was making. But if no one is searching for it, then running Google ads on it doesn't make sense. And chances are I'll never be able to make money on that. Right. Right. 
So same thing goes with like Facebook ads. Maybe like if it's like a commonplace item, like a mop or something like that, it might not work on Facebook, but that item might work better on Google. So you just kind of have to see what's out there and what's working for other people. And if what you're trying to sell or market kind of falls under that same category, then, you know, you can probably expect that you should be able to achieve some amount of success with that same strategy. So it seems like you're very logical in that sense that, you know, is, does a path make sense? Is this a good use of my time to invest in figuring this out? And then if you're just not getting there, just keep trying, trying new things and maybe have a little, like be a little bit stubborn about it. Yeah. I mean, if you feel like it should be working and you know, other people who have gotten it working, doing something similar to what you're trying to do, then yes, by all means you stick with it. Okay. I think that's something that a lot of people and, and myself included need to kind of be reminded of sometimes is that a lot of times, and I see this with Facebook ads, of course, where, you know, we see that a product or, you know, something has very, a lot of potential with Facebook ads, but people give up too soon before they figure out that, you know, the right messaging in the ad or the right type of ad or the right audience to get it in front of. And that's where I say it's the fastest way to lose money because if there's still that potential and you don't get to that point where you know things are converting the way that you want them to and you give up before that happens, then like all the time, all the money that you've invested before that is just lost. I mean, here's a good example with Facebook ads. Like, I never used to think that Facebook ads would work for my e-commerce store because we, we mainly target the wedding industry. And... The way I've been able to get Facebook ads to work with my e-commerce store is, you know, I'll just kind of break even on the top of funnel and then let my email and the repeat customers, you know, take care of the main profitability. But for the longest time, I used to think all of our customers were wedding customers, which had zero repeat customers. And it was just kind of through trial and error and looking at audiences and whatnot, I found that there's this group of people over the age of 55 that like collect handkerchiefs. So they love handkerchiefs. And those are the people that we target on Facebook, not the wedding folks. So it just kind of depends on what you sell. Right. So it could be that tweak of strategy where you know you stop focusing your energy and time on the wedding people and then find this other group that you can target and convert well. Yeah. I mean, to this day, I've not been able to make the wedding targeting profitable. So maybe I'm doing something wrong, but I don't know. I, I imagine know. it's very competitive. It's competitive and I think not everyone updates their status consistently also. True. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, you're right. It it is very expensive too. Very cool. Well, so what advice would you have to somebody who is kind of in that place where they feel like things aren't working the way that they would like them to and they don't know if they should, you know, shift their strategy, change course completely or, you know, keep at it and keep trying new things? What advice would you give to them? So my advice would be to actually go to a conference and find a group of people that are doing things similar to you and get involved in some sort of mastermind group where you can bounce ideas off of other people. Oftentimes, like when you're struggling with something, someone else with a completely different perspective can help you find the right path for your business to move forward. That's great advice. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us and sharing so much about your story and your journey with us. I really appreciate it. So where should people go to learn more about you and what you're up to, what you've got going on? Yeah, I think the best place is just to go to mywifecooterjob.com. I don't know how many of you, your listeners are e-commerce folks, but um, if you want to meet up and hang out, uh, my event is over at sellersummit.com. 
If you're interested in learning how to sell online or blog, I have two courses. One is ProfitableOnlineStore.com and ProfitableOnlineBlog.com. Uh, if you're looking to get married, I can hook you up with handkerchiefs. <laughs> That's over at BumblebeeLens.com. And if you're just curious to see what my kids are up to, uh, their store is over at KidInCharge.com. I encourage you to sign up for their YouTube channel. There's a lot of good videos on there and uh, hopefully you'll be entertained. Very cool. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me, Monica. Did you love this interview as much as I did? I would love to hear your biggest takeaways from this episode. So share those with us in the comments at monicalouie.com slash 39 or tag Steve and me on Instagram. I'm at Flourish with Monica and he's at my wife quit. And I'll be sure to have all the links and resources that we mentioned in this episode at monicalouie.com slash 39. I want to give a huge thank you once again to Steve Chu for coming on the podcast and sharing his wisdom with us. And I want to thank you so much for joining Steve and me today. If you are ready to scale your business with Facebook ads, then check out my free Facebook ad starter kit. You can find that at monicalouie.com slash guide. The starter kit takes you through the six steps to creating campaigns that convert. Plus there's an awesome checklist so you can make sure you've got everything you need before you jump into the ads manager. And if you're like me, then you appreciate a good checklist. And if you're interested in learning more about how my team and I might be able to help you with your Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest ads, go to monicalouie.com slash WWM. We have information there about our services. As I mentioned, I'll have all the links and resources that we mentioned today in the show notes, which you can find at monicalouie.com slash 39. And if you found this helpful, please leave a rating and review so that more people can find this podcast and subscribe so that you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. And next week, I've got another great interview heading your way. So subscribe so you don't miss it. My guest helps online entrepreneurs get featured on podcasts and in media outlets, and she's sharing her best tips with us. I hope you'll join me next week on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. Take care and bye for now. 